0: Where do you get righteousness? That is the question that the entire book of Romans has been aiming at up to this point. Paul says if you want to know God, if you want to walk with God, if you want to be with God in heaven forever after you die, then what you need is righteousness. That's what you need. The problem is what you have is unrighteousness This is what Paul says if you want to be with God. You need to be innocent. You need to be pure. You need to be holy but what you are is guilty and sinful and unholy that's Paul's point in the first three chapters So where do you get righteousness? Well, we looked at this last week Paul teaches in chapter 3 that you get it from God by grace Through faith. This is one of the most core doctrines of Of Christianity, that the way a person becomes a Christian, the way you're saved, the way you're justified, the way you're made righteous, the way you escape sin and death in hell is by grace through faith. Paul calls this justification. This is one of the cornerstones of the Protestant Reformation. It was the belief that the way a person becomes a Christian, the way you're justified, the way you're saved from sin is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And this is fundamental to the book of Romans. Last week, we spent most of our time focusing on the grace piece of the equation. You are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. This week, we're gonna focus more on faith. And if you're taking notes, we're gonna try to answer two questions. We'll build our outline sort of around these two questions. Number one, what is faith? What is it? Number two, what does faith mean? do. Salvation from sin is by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. So as we look at faith, uh, we need to quickly recap grace. You need to understand both. How do they work together? What is grace? Well, we said last week that grace is God's love and favor extended to you as a free gift. That's God's grace. Paul lays this out in Romans 3.23. He says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What you need is righteousness. Nobody has it. Everybody has fallen short of God's standard of righteousness. What's the solution? Verse 24, they are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So where do you get righteousness? Paul says you get it through the death of Jesus. That's where you get it. Many theologians, they refer to this as the great exchange. On the cross, Jesus took your sin, he took your punishment from God, and he died. And in exchange, he gives you his righteousness, and he gives you his innocence, and he gives you his eternal life. He gives you his standing as a son or a daughter of God with an inheritance in his eternal kingdom. The great exchange. That's what the scriptures call the gospel, the good news. And that's unbelievable, isn't it? (laughs) Jesus says, hey, give me your sin, give me your guilt, give me all your darkness, all your nastiness, all the punishment you deserve, and I'll take it. And I'll give you my righteousness and my goodness and a relationship with God and eternal life. That's the good news. Now, according to Paul, who needs the grace offered in Jesus? Look again at verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god the answer is everyone everybody needs it the whole world everyone who's ever lived they're all you are all we are all guilty before god everyone needs the sacrificial death of jesus to save them from their sin but here's the here's here's the key question who gets the grace of god everyone needs it. Who gets it? Is it everyone? The whole world, just unilaterally, God just applies his grace to all people, universal salvation? No, it's not what the scriptures teach. Paul goes on to say this in chapter 3, verse 25, God presented him, that's Jesus, as the mercy seat or the propitiation the idea that the meaning is this is Jesus was the satisfaction of God's wrath. God presented Jesus as the propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his restraint God passed over the sins previously committed. God presented him, Jesus, to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and justify who? the one who has faith in Jesus. So who gets the grace of God, according to Paul? People who have faith in Jesus. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. The other night, we had a Christmas party here at the church, which was crazy fun. Congratulations to Anthony Johans for winning the ugly sweater contest. We got here, my wife and I, we were one of the first people here and the Johans were already here. Walked in and Anthony had adorned his beard with ornaments and Christmas lights. I <laughs> mean, woven them into his beard and I knew right then, nobody else was here yet and I was like, it's game over, <laughs> that's your winner. Right there. Part of the party though was we all brought appetizers to share so it was kind of potluck style appetizers and in one sense then we were all offering our food as a free gift to everybody else who came. So if you wanted to have some of Katie Gonzalez's amazing chip dip, you didn't have to pay her money. It wasn't $5 a head. You didn't have to agree to show up at their house and mow their lawn next spring. (laughs) You know, you gotta mow my lawn three times. You gotta work, you have to earn this chip dip. It's that good. You didn't have to do a dance. You didn't have to say a magic password. It was a gift. No work involved. No price to be paid. And all of the food was that way. My wife and I, we brought a charcuterie board, which, by the way, if you ever hear a man use the term charcuterie board, there's a 98% chance that you're speaking to a married man (laughs) because I'd never heard of that word before I got married. But we were cleaning up at the end of the night, and I noticed that on our charcuterie board, all of the venison summer sausage was gone, just got dominated. And then there was garlic stuffed green olives and they were like the opposite of gone it was like nobody had touched them and the point is i was thinking about this those two foods they were both offered as a free gift to everybody venison summer sausage garlic stuffed green olives and most of the people at the party they got some summer sausage They experienced it. They tasted it. They got to eat it. And probably almost zero people at the party got the olives. Didn't experience them. Didn't taste them. Which my wife and I were very offended by, (laughs) by the way. (laughs) But what was the difference in those two outcomes? What was the difference? It's very simple. Nobody took the olives. They didn't want them. It's it's that simple. They were offered, but they were not received. And God's grace in Christ is offered to everyone. But just because he offers it doesn't mean you get it. You have to receive it. That's the idea. You have to receive it. And you receive charcuterie snacks by picking them up, putting them in your mouth, and eating them. The Bible says you receive God's grace through faith. So we better know what it is. It's important. You receive God's grace through faith. So what is faith? Paul says, Romans chapter 4, let me show you. I'll show you what it is. And he points us to what the Jews viewed as, in the New Testament, the ultimate example of faith in the Old Testament, and that's Abraham, the life of Abraham. Now, fair warning, We're not going to go through this sequentially, verse by verse, and the reason is that Paul's points here, they're all sort of overlapping and interconnected through this section, and if we were to go verse by verse, we could do that, but it would just require a lot of going back and re-explaining, so instead what we're going to do is we're going to break it down point by point instead of verse by verse, so if you're following along in your Bible, just know we're going to kind of jump back and forth a little bit. So what is faith? Number one, faith is believing, Faith is believing. He says in verse three of chapter four, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. So in its most basic form, faith is believing. Abraham believed God. The Oxford Dictionary defines faith like this. Faith is complete trust or confidence in someone or something. I think that's actually a fairly good basic definition. It's complete trust or confidence in someone or something. Synonyms of faith include belief, trust, conviction, confidence, credence. So to have faith in something, strictly speaking, means you believe in it. Number two, faith is not works. It's not works. Paul goes out of his way to make sure you understand this go back to Romans 3 verse 27 he says where then is boasting it's excluded no boasting when it comes to faith by what kind of law by one of works no on the contrary by a law of faith for we conclude that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law faith is not works now it's not that faith is And works faith and action faith and obedience are not related they are related it's not that they're not interconnected they are but faith by definition is not action that's not what it is faith is internal faith is a thought process faith is a heart condition and so Paul says obedience to the law that's not faith And following the rules, that's not faith. And religious practices, not faith. Faith is not external actions. Now, external actions can be motivated by faith. They can be produced from an internal faith. But the actions themselves can't make you righteous. They cannot justify you. And if they could, then you wouldn't need God's grace. This is Paul's point. Go back to Romans 4, verse 2. He says, if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. The Jews in the first century, they viewed Abraham as the ultimate example of a righteous man. And in fact, what they believed at this time in history, I think there's probably still many Jews in the world today that believe this is that the reason why God chose Abraham. So think about, of all the people in the world, in Genesis chapter 12, there's no nation of Israel, there's no Hebrews, there's no Jews, there's no people of God. God comes to one guy, Abraham, and he says, Abraham, it's your lucky day. We're gonna start with you. I'm gonna make you into my people. I'm gonna make you into a great nation. I'm gonna bless you. And what the Jews believed in the first century, at the time that Paul wrote this letter to the Romans, is that God, he stood back and he looked at all the people in the world and he said, that guy is awesome. That it was Abraham's righteousness. Abraham was so righteous, he was so good because of his own works before God, that God saw him and said, he's my guy. But Paul says, if that's true, then Abraham has something to boast about. Abraham could boast before God. Abraham didn't really need God. In fact, it's God who's impressed with Abraham. God says, Abraham, we better better use you because you're so righteous. But look at how Paul finishes the sentence. He says, if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Now to us, that sounds like maybe he's saying, well, he has something to boast about before other people, but not before God, but that's not what Paul's saying here. You read virtually every commentary on the book of Romans. What Paul's meaning is, is no one can boast before God. He's saying Abraham doesn't have anything to boast about, especially not before God. No one can boast before God, not even Abraham. God is not impressed with people. There's nobody who's righteous. This is what Paul just said in chapter three. Not even Abraham. And then Paul Proves it from the Old Testament scriptures, quoting Genesis 15, 6. For what does the scripture say? And this is a direct quotation, Genesis 15, 6. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. That's Genesis 15. Now, verse 4, this is Paul's commentary on Genesis 15. He says, now, to the one who works, pay is not credited as a gift, but as something owed, But to the one who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited for righteousness. We talked about this a little bit last week. But when you work hard for something, you earn it. That's the idea. You're owed it, you deserve it. This is why when you get paid by your employer, you probably never think, boy, that's a pleasant surprise. (laughs) That was really nice of my employer to pay me this week. I didn't, I didn't expect that. I mean, what a gracious gift. You don't think that way. In fact, you think, I better get paid this week because I worked the last two weeks. And if you were to not get paid, there'd be serious problems, wouldn't there? You'd say, whoa, 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 this is not right. You owe me that money. I don't have it yet, but it's already mine because I worked for it. I deserve it. I've earned it. But that's not what happens in Genesis 15. This is Paul's point. That's not the way a gift works. A gift, you say, wow, that's so generous of you. That's so kind of you. You didn't have to do that. Thank you. Paul says, God gave Abraham righteousness as a free gift because of Abraham's faith. So faith is not works. Faith is believing, but but there's more to it than that. So faith is not just believing facts. Like George Washington was the first president of the United States. That's a fact. I'm guessing that almost all of you believe. Biblical faith is more than that. Hebrews 11.1 says this, now faith is the reality of what is hoped for. The word that the Christian standard Bible translates to reality here. The original Greek word It's the word hypostasis, And there's not a great, robust, direct translation in English. More full meaning would be the actual existence or substance or essence of a thing. They say reality, but that doesn't really capture it. So what is faith? It's believing, number one. It's not works, number two. And number three, faith gives future realities substance in the present moment is what Hebrews is getting at. Faith gives future realities substance in the present moment, meaning even though you don't have the object of your faith in your hands right now, you can't see it right now, you are experiencing its substance right now, in this moment. It's totally appropriate to operate as if you have it, even when you don't. Really good example of this again, Is your finances so think about your budget for the upcoming month my guess is you have certain bills that are due mortgage payment cell phone energy bill Netflix whatever it is you got all these things that are coming due and for virtually all of you I would assume that your budget the money that you're going to spend this month is based not only on the money you have today but it's based on the money that you're expecting to get paid in the coming weeks that's, that's the way you operate your budget. You have to think about cash flow. And so that's all based on faith. You don't have that money right now. You can't see it in your checking account, but you expect that it's coming. And that's reasonable. It's based on all kinds of information. It's based on the fact that I worked this last month or this last two weeks, and I've gotten paid every two weeks or every month for the last however many years. And I know that my company that I work for, it's still in business. They're doing well financially. You have all this information that makes it totally reasonable for you to assume that your paycheck is coming. And so you operate in the present moment as if there's substance to something you don't yet have and you can't yet see. That's faith. Hebrews goes on to say this. Second half of verse one. Now faith is the proof of what is not seen which seems a little bit redundant with the first half of the sentence, but if you continue to read into verse three, I think what the author has in mind becomes clear. He says this, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. So what is faith? Number four, faith looks beyond what we can see to understand the world. Faith looks beyond what we can see to understand the world notice I didn't say faith ignores what we can see I think many non-christians non-religious people in our culture this is the way they conceptualize faith that faith is like superstition it's like wishful thinking it's like how you explain things that have no explanation that's faith you just close your eyes and kind of hope that's not what faith is at all faith doesn't ignore what we can see it simply looks at all the data beyond just what we can see And again, you operate by faith like this all the time every day. This is why you believe in gravity. You all believe in gravity. Whether or not you understand the physics of gravity, you all believe in gravity, you operate according to the laws of gravity even though no one can see gravity. It's totally invisible. But you can see the effects of gravity. You can feel the effects of gravity. Same thing with the wind. You can't see the wind but you experience the tangible effects of the wind. It impacts your life almost on a daily basis. And the same is true with innumerable other things. Electricity, invisible. You operate like it exists all the time, every day. Bacteria, ultraviolet rays, totally invisible. But try not putting your sunscreen on in the summer. (laughs) It's not gonna go well radon gas, carbon monoxide. There are so many things that you can't see, but you see them by faith. So faith in that sense, it's universal. It's generic. Everyone operates by faith all the time, every day. But when Paul says that a person is saved, they're justified by faith in Jesus. He's not talking about Faith generically. He's not talking about just the concept of faith. He's talking about faith in something specific. And again, Abraham is our example. Verse three, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God. Abraham believed God. And it was credited to him for righteousness. What is faith? Number five, faith that justifies the believer is faith in the grace of God. It doesn't say that Abraham believed in God. This is another common misconception about faith in our culture. People think you gotta be a good person. We talked about that last week. Paul says no one's a good person and you gotta believe in God. You just believe God exists and you try to do your best and then you go to heaven. Paul says no. Abraham didn't just believe in God. It says he believed God, meaning he believed what God said. And what God said, go back to Genesis chapter 12, chapter 15. What God said is that even though Abraham did nothing to deserve it at all, that God was gonna bless him. God was gonna make him into a great nation. God was gonna give him a son. God was gonna give him innumerable descendants, even though he was old. His wife was old. They were way too old to get pregnant, and even when they were younger, they were never able to conceive children. And God was going to give Abraham all of this as a free gift of his love and favor. And Abraham simply believed him. He said, Okay, sounds good to me. <laughs> that sounds great. He believes God, even though, go read Genesis 15, he gets nothing. He gets nothing right then no sun, no land. No ability to produce children on his own, no descendants, but he believed God's gift of grace was his, even though he didn't have the substance of it yet. Faith that justifies the believer is faith in the grace of God. That's what faith is. Okay, second question What does faith do? Now that we know what it is, why is it such a big deal? What does it do? Well, remember our main point salvation from sin is by grace alone, through faith alone in Christ alone. So what does faith do? Number one, faith, belief in the good news that Jesus died for you, connects you to the free gift of God's grace. This is the first thing that faith does. It connects you to the free gift of God's grace. So it is God that saves you from sin. That's who saves you. It is Jesus' work on the cross that saves you. It is His death that pays your penalty. It is His blood that cleanses you from sin. It is Jesus' resurrection on the third day that gives you the hope of eternal life. You do nothing to get His righteousness, His salvation, His justification. It is a free gift, but God's not going to force it on you. Just like our charcuterie olives. They were offered, but I'm not gonna go around shoving them in people's faces. Eat one of these olives, (laughs) God's not gonna force it on you. And faith is the means by which you receive what God freely offers you in Christ. He offers you salvation from sin. He offers you justification, righteousness, and eternal life. And faith is how you receive those things. But faith does way more than that. Number two, faith in the gospel connects you to God himself in relationship. This is incredible. Look at verse one. What then will we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? Very similar to the question that Paul asks in chapter three, verse one. Remember he says, so what advantage does the Jew have? What is the benefit of circumcision? That's the question in chapter three, verse one. Very similar question, chapter 4, verse 1. So the idea is, if obeying the law doesn't save you, if circumcision doesn't save you, and Jews and Gentiles can both be made righteous by faith in Jesus, then did Abraham really have anything that special? Did Abraham really have anything that unique or significant? Paul says, of course he did. And this is a nod to Genesis 12. He doesn't lay it out specifically but his audience knows this. Genesis 12, we'll look at it quickly, the first three verses. This is the first time Abraham, then called Abram, this is before God changes his name, first time he meets God, first time he interacts with God. And it says this, the Lord said to Abram, go from your land, your relatives and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So what did Abraham find? What did Abraham have? We could talk about this all morning, but just quickly, obviously, well, he has God's presence. God shows up. God draws near. God is right there intimately in the midst of Abraham. He has God's instructions. Not only is God close, God speaks in an intelligible way that Abraham could understand. God gives Abraham a command. He says, go from your land. Then Abraham has God's leading. He says, go from your land, where? To the land I'll show you, which means I'm going with. I'm gonna lead you I'm gonna guide you I'm gonna direct you I'm gonna show you where we're going he has God's leading then he has God's promise he says and listen I'm gonna make you a great nation I will bless you this is a promise about the future he has God's mission this is remarkable Do you notice this he says and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you God says we're gonna do something worldwide something gigantic, something so much bigger than could happen from one little man. He says, through you, I'm going to bless the whole world. Now, when you add all that up and you ask the question, what did Abraham have? What did Abraham find? What you see is that it's way more than just justification. It's way more than just righteousness. Now, those are prerequisites, but what it is, is relationship with God. See, you have to be made righteous. You have to be justified in order to have a relationship with a holy, perfect, righteous God. But the point is not justification. The point is that you would come into a relationship with him. This is why God saved you. Right here, we see this in Genesis 12. God is extending the offer to Abraham of an intimate experiential, ongoing relationship. He says, I'll be with you. I'll go with you. I'll speak to you. I'll help you. I'll involve you in my plans. And the idea is that this is not a New Testament concept that arrived with the ministry of Jesus. Faith in God's grace has always been about way more than simply escaping punishment for sin. That is important, It's really important, but it's way more than that. It is about walking with God. It's about knowing God. Abraham knew God. He had a relationship with God by faith. And I think this is a big part of Paul's point. He says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. Now, Abraham's the example. Then again, look at Paul's commentary. Now, to the one who works, pays not credited as a gift, but as something owed. But to the one who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited for righteousness. So in verse 5, who's Paul talking about? His faith is credited for righteousness. Now, generically, he's saying this is the way it works with everyone. So in, in one sense, he's talking about everyone. He's talking about a universal principle, but he's using a specific person as the example. And that person is Abraham. So who is the one who believes on him who justifies the ungodly? It's Abraham, which means Paul is saying Abraham is ungodly. Do you notice that? Abraham is ungodly. Abraham wasn't the prototype for righteousness, which is what the Jews believed. Paul says Abraham is the prototype for the unrighteous person who's been justified by faith in God's saving grace. This is why Paul could say in chapter 3, verse 25, he says, God presented Jesus as the propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. What does that mean previously committed to what well previous to the death of jesus on the cross he says god passed over those sins in his restraint what that means is that jesus's death on the cross applies retroactively to atone for the sins of all the people who trusted god's saving grace prior to the coming of jesus which includes abraham which means that Abraham was saved by God the same way you and I are. He had faith in God's saving power, and Jesus' death on the cross nearly 2,000 years after Abraham lived is what made him righteous. So, faith in the gospel connects you to God Himself in relationship. And I think this is, Paul is trying to sort of beckon us to ask this question Do you want to know God? Do you want to experience a relationship with God the way Abraham did? Do you want to have his presence in your life? Do you want to experience his power? Do you want to have his wisdom and his instructions and his leading? Do you want to see his beauty and his glory, which is what you're made for, by the way? Do you know that every longing of your heart, every desire that you have is fulfilled in the glory of God? It is fulfilled in knowing him, walking with him, having a relationship with him. Paul says, do you want that? You can have it. You can have it by grace through faith. What else does faith do? Number three, faith in the gospel upholds the Old Testament law. Verse 31, do we then nullify the law through faith? Absolutely not. This is chapter 3. On the contrary, we uphold the law. So Paul's whole argument for salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, is based on the Old Testament. He's like, this is nothing new. This was the plan the whole time. What does the Scripture say? Salvation was by faith in the Old Testament and the New. Many examples of this, but let me give you just a couple. Isaiah chapter 43. God is speaking to the Israelites in verse 24, and he says, You have not brought me aromatic cane with silver, or satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices, but you have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. So there's this whole sacrificial system for worship set up in the Old Testament, and God says, You guys are blowing it. (laughs) You're supposed to worship me with sacrifices. You're supposed to worship me through these different rituals and celebrations and you're not doing that. And even when you do it, your hearts are idolatrous and far from me. You're just full of sin and darkness. But look at verse 25. He says, I am the one. I am the one. I sweep away your transgressions. And so what the Jews thought is because they did all these things, they made all these sacrifices, they followed all these special rituals, that that would cleanse them from sin. And God's like, no, that's not how any of this works. You've epically failed in following the rules and giving the sacrifices. But God says, I sweep away your transgressions for my own sake and remember your sins no more. God says, you're not doing it. You can't do it, but I, I will do it. I will make you righteous. I will justify you. I will deal with your sin. There aren't two different paths of salvation, one for the Jews, a new one for Christians. There's one plan, which is faith in God's saving power, which was affected by Jesus's atoning death. Another example of this in the Old Testament, author of Hebrews talks about this, Habakkuk 2.4 prophet says the righteous will live by faith. Abraham lived by faith, and all the righteous people of God, Old Testament and New, live by faith. So number four, what does faith do? Faith produces a transformed life. It produces a transformed life. Somebody asked me this question this week. They said, how do you know if you've become a Christian? That's a wonderful question have you ever asked yourself that question? How, like, how, do, how do I know? Have I become a Christian? How, how do I know? How do you know if you've become a Christian? The answer, according to Paul, is by believing the gospel. It really is that simple. It's by believing the gospel. Paul says, do you believe the gospel? Then you're a Christian. It's that simple. Now, in one sense, it's simple. In another sense, though, there's a follow up question that I think is fairly intuitive, which is okay, but how do you know if you believe the gospel? <laughs> because it's not just facts, it's not just George Washington was the first president of the United States. How do you know if you believe the gospel? Paul says, Look at Abraham. Look at Abraham. Because he says, Abraham, he believed. Abraham has faith. He has saving faith that was credited to him for righteousness. And so, God said, Abraham, go. Go. Leave your family, extended family. Leave your friends. Leave your work. Leave your culture. Leave your position in society. And go. Oh, and by the way, I'll tell you when you get there. (laughs) Doesn't even know where he's going. Pack up. Head into the desert. Abraham goes. God says, Abraham, you're going to have a son. Yeah, I know you're old. I know you've never been able to conceive. And Abraham believes him. And he waits years, years and years and years, trusting God, not wavering. God says, Abraham, this one's a little bit more weird. You got to get circumcised. (laughs) Can you imagine? Abraham's like, wait a second. You sure about this, Lord? Yeah, not just you, every male in your household. By this point, this is years later after God first appeared to him. God's blessed him. He's made Abraham very wealthy. He has lots of people in his household, servants. He says, every male in your household, they all need to be circumcised. Genesis 17 says, Abraham did it that same day. Instant obedience. Because of his faith. God commanded, Abraham obeyed because of his faith, not because he's righteous, not not because he's without sin, but because he trusts that God is going to do what God said he would do. And so here's a question for you to sit with this week. Are you living like the gospel's true? Are you living like it's true? Think about that. And I have one point of application, just quickly to close. The application that Paul is driving at, there's so much. I mean, he, he's, he's beckoning, beckoning us receive God's grace by faith. But part of the byproduct of that faith is a transformed life. And so my admonishment to you this week, brothers and sisters, is live a life of faith in Christ. Live like it's true. You say you believe it live like you believe it. So live like God is present and close. What would your life look like if you believed, he's right here with me all the time. So when you're driving in your car, boom, God's there. He's with you. When you're taking a shower in the morning by yourself, it's like God is here. When you're... Working, no one else is around. When you're with your family, playing with your kids, God is there, He's present, He's close. Live like it. Live like God's power is available to you. Live like God's promises and wisdom and instruction are yours in His Word because they are. Live like God has eternal work for you to do in His kingdom because He does. Live like God's people are now and will be forever your brothers and sisters in heaven. Live like every person you ever see, meet, interact with is an eternal being who will either be one of those brothers and sisters or who's going to be separated from God forever in hell. How would that change the way you approach people? How would it change the way you interact with people? How would it change the way you pray for people? Live like sin is as bad as the Bible says it is. The grace of God is not a get out of jail free card. If you believe the gospel, then what you believe is that sin is the reason Jesus suffered and died. It's ugly, it's terrible, it robs people of life, it leaves people empty and hurting and broken. So living like the gospel is true for a Christian. We reject sin, we turn from sin, we confess sin. We walk in obedience, not perfectly, but because we believe the gospel is true. A life of faith in Christ is a transformed life, brothers and sisters. So live a life of faith in the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. God, thanks for just the incredible gift of the gospel. And uh, what I pray we wouldn't look at it like a garlic stuffed green olive. Like, eh, (laughs) yeah, I think I'll pass on that. Help us to be properly impressed with the offer of grace. God, help us to sense our desperate need, not just for being cleansed from sin, but Lord, what we want, fulfillment, joy, purpose, it's all found in relationship with you. That's what our hearts are desperately searching for. God, help us to believe Help us to trust. And God, from that belief, I pray that there would flow obedience. Not so we can earn your favor, but because we already have it. God, help there to flow action, faith in action, not so that we can go to heaven, but because we already are going there. That we would invest there now. Help us to live like the gospel is true. Help us to worship you wholeheartedly. We pray in Jesus' name.